Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game 3 Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Sini. Today, we're breaking down the best contracts in the NBA. And at the top, we're going to do some NBA draft discussion about Reed Shepard, Dalton Connect, and some other players that have some enormous, enormous games this weekend. So come join us. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Way down top. Bang! Bang! What's this going to be? Oh! Are you kidding me? Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam. The Sam. But if you watch the tape, what you will see is completely orchestrated this game. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Good to Sam? see you. The, the Kai Jones, every single time. It just makes me smile. It makes me laugh. And <laughs> peek behind the curtain here, everybody, as we start 45 minutes late. Every other episode that I've ever been on, when we started late, it's 100% been Sam's fault. 100 Confirm. Confirm. Today was 100% on me. I had some stuff. I was on a Zoom call. It ran a little bit long. And this is 100% on me. So I apologize for the late start of the Game Theory podcast on Friday, March 1st. See, I was just going to blame myself. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> look, Nathan Lyon was on 40. Uh, he's a bowler for people who don't watch I was gonna cricket. say who are you talking about yeah so Nathan Lyon is like one of the best bowlers of all time in cricket and he's never scored 50 runs as a batter in a cricket game it'd be like somebody like a pitcher hitting a home run kind of uh him scoring 50 in a cricket game as a batter so and Nathan Lyon's like by far my best like my favorite cricket player he's hilarious and just the way he plays is awesome and it's very very funny to me um his whole personality is very funny to me so i wanted to watch that but hey if you're willing to take the blame i'm here for it man hey i listen you took your receipts on the brandon pajimski scouting report last episode or two episodes yeah. i hold my i hold my own receipts i hold myself accountable you also just took us like around the sports world with bowling cricket batting running school like i'm like what what sport are we even talking about sam not only do i not know this guy i still don't even know what sport he plays yeah you know cricket it's all good cricket is a sport it's not just a bug over here in australia <laughs> bryce okay so what we're going to talk about today i want to talk about a few draft guys at the top that have had some big games over the course of this week it feels like college basketball is really starting to explode a bit more into the mainstream so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some of the guys that are emerging into potential March stars right now as we get into March. And then we're going to do best contracts in the NBA. I also want to talk a little bit about the Jalen Galloway signing with the Milwaukee Bucks. He's going to sign a two-year two-way. Makes total sense, and we'll talk about that momentarily. But we also have some stipulations with the best contract yeah, discussion be that we'll define and everything like that so you know look like the best contract in the nba is whatever contract 
you know, Luka Doncic, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic, like all those guys are on, right? But yep. we've excluded them for reasons we'll talk about. Let's talk about the draft guys here at the start. So Reed Shepard had, I think it was probably, I, I don't know, man. It might've been my favorite draft game. I don't know if it was the best game I've seen somebody play this season, but it was certainly my favorite. Reed Shepard in the first 38 and a half minutes of this game against Mississippi State this week. He has like 21 points, five rebounds, seven assists. He only has, I think, one turnover in that time, maybe two. I think he had two, got a second one right around like the 38-minute mark through kind of a shitty pass. I'm sitting there thinking like, you know what? This is like an amazing game. This is awesome. This is like exactly what I've wanted to see from Reed. Him creating on the ball more often, playing as well as he has. This is exactly what we're looking for. We want to see him play point guard a little bit more often. He played way more of like a solid point guard role in that game. Then in the last 90 seconds of this game, Reed Shepard like blocks a shot uh, on a closeout, drills five clutch free throws, hits two like huge buckets, like one a jumper, one a layup. And then... Nails a game winner floater after Josh Hubbard hits a shot to take the lead for Mississippi State. Josh Hubbard was fantastic in this game, too, for Mississippi State. But in the final minute and a half of this game, Reed Shepard has 11 points, one block, and then he closes it with like a steal to finish it out. It was unbelievable. He was he was fantastic in this game. I loved like every single thing. It was the toughness. It was the mental fortitude to go and drill those free throws while he's smiling on the foul line. Uh, The confidence to just go and drill that floater at the end. It was, it it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I thought the experience you had was exactly the same experience I had. I was having a conversation with somebody in a completely kind of different context, but NBA draft context about this game for Reed Shepard Shepard as an NBA draft prospect. And it was like, it just kept getting better and it kept getting better and it kept getting better. Eventually it was like, yep, this is the one like this is, this is the game. I also want to talk, you briefly mentioned the turnover, Sam. He actually had Two, I think he had two turnovers in this game. So the first one is a ball screen and roll with a Visich, and he misses him, completely misses him on the roll, wide open, and he tries to throw a pass and he turns it over. I loved his response. Comes down, next two possessions, ball screen and roll with the Visich. First one comes off, gets a Visich, dunk. Second one, because he had just hit a Visich, the big man stays home a little bit quicker, Sam. Shepard comes off, creates space, hits like a 23-foot three-point pull-up. So it was the response to the turnover. And then he had a big one late. Like, that was a huge turnover late in the game. I think Kentucky was up three when he turned it over, throwing it down the floor. He comes back, he hits two clutch free throws, and then he calls game with the little floater. Like, as everything that stood out in this game, the contesting jump shots, the, the defense – the ridiculous three-point shot making, it was his resolve and his response to those two mistakes that stood out the most to me. It feels like when I watch Reed that like, and I've kind of like gotten this like understanding from talking to people around it. Like, I'm not sure he totally gets how good he is yet. (laughs) It's kind of where I'm at. Like there are games where like, he's a little bit happy to like kind of go into the, 
you know, tapestry of the game a little bit more often. Obviously, the role at Kentucky where he's coming off the bench behind DJ Wagner and playing next to Rob Dillingham, who's as good with the ball as he is. There is a chance at times where I think Reed does kind of blend in a little bit more, but he blends in. Even when he's blending in, he's still making an impact on the game. He's still helping with quick reads, unbelievable processing ability, defensive playmaking. Look, there are moments where Reed Shepard like gets lost off the ball defensively. Sure. Yes. Like he yes. has like those space cadet moments, but I think he's pretty good on the ball for somebody who's, you know, a six foot two, like white kid without like a ton of length. Right. Uh, I think he does like a pretty good job using his feet to keep his chest in front of people. There are matchups where he just kind of gets pushed through a little bit because he's still very young and that's okay. Reed is an incredible defensive playmaker. He has these unbelievable, like instinctual moments where like some of his scramble rotations and like digs onto the ball on drives and like scramble closeouts and things like that. It's just unbelievable. Honestly, this is kind of the name I've been thinking about. Shout out res ball TV. Does Reed Shepard give you Kyle Lowry vibes? It's kind of the name I've been thinking about with him more and more. The more that I watch him, I'm really glad that he just brought that up. Yeah, no, and I'll say even the off the because he, he had I think he had three off ball where he got ball watchy. The crazy thing was though he was able to recover and make a play on two of the three. One of them was the where he blocked the corner three pointer that you were talking about. He got ball watchy in that situation, but was able to cover a crazy amount of ground. Another one he ended up getting a block from behind. So, um, yeah, this Kyle Lowry comp is is interesting because it's been it's been a little bit hard to pinpoint. And I think it's because we're still, you brought this up, which I think really is the biggest thing that we still have to figure out with Reed Shepard. Everybody's going to buy the shooting. The, the defensive stuff that we've talked about, I think is pretty well locked in. I think what really determined Reed Shepard's ceiling is how much can he be an on-ball guy? How much can he create? How much can he penetrate the defense? All of that stuff. In this game, he showed a lot of that, Sam. I pulled like six, seven clips where Reed Shepard very early is able to turn the defender's hips and shoulders to the sideline and has a downhill driving opportunity. Some of them he scores, some of them he sprays the shooters, but that's really, really, you know, enticing and intriguing if Shepard is able to do that type of stuff on the ball as well. Yeah, I've I've loved everything about the Reed Shepard experience this year. This is, you know, what the umpteenth time that we've had this discussion on the podcast this year. Uh, the other thing about Reed that is worth bringing up, I'm not sure people understand how bonkers his impact is in terms of Kentucky's like on-off numbers is. So right now, when Reed Shepard is on the court, Kentucky beats its opponents by 25.6 points per 100 possessions, according to Pivot Analysis. Pivot's a, you know, group of folks, a consultancy group that does a great job of, like, you know, cleaning the on-off data and, you know, making sure that everything is right. So I tend to use their numbers. Do you know what Kentucky is losing by? When Reed Shepard is off the court. What did you say they were winning by? They're winning by 26 points per 100 possessions. Holy cow. 
Um, so when he's off, let's say negative two. They're losing non-Reed Shepard minutes by 11. Shut up. That's not true. 36.4 points per 100 possessions. They are winning Reed's minutes by 25.6. They are losing them by 11.4 when he's off the court. I thought I was being crazy saying it was negative. So the fact it's that much is, wow. Well, so here's the crazier number. There's only one. So Kentucky wins its minutes with everybody else, like anybody else that's on the court, right? In their minutes, Kentucky wins anybody else's minutes, right? Not only do they win their minutes, but like when Antonio Reeves is on the court, he's the guy that has the second biggest impact, right? On the team in terms of the on-off numbers. When Antonio Reeves is off the court, they still win their minutes by 8.6 points per 100 possessions. There is a 20-point difference between anybody else in Kentucky's rotation and Reed Shepard in terms of his on-court versus off-court impact when he's playing versus when he's not playing. Like, play him, like, as much as you can, and they're doing that. Like, I want to be clear. He's playing, like, 32, 34 minutes a night. Like, it's fine now. It's whatever. But it's just crazy what the numbers say. The, The numbers are insane. So, like, the other thing is the thing that I think from a lineup perspective that Kentucky is not doing enough of are the Reed, Rob, and Reeves minutes. The Reed, Rob, and Reeves minutes are Kentucky's best, like, minutes right now. Coming into the Mississippi State game, Kentucky was outscoring its opponents 135.8 to 102.4 per 100 possessions with Reed, Rob, and Reeves on the court. Even just in SEC games, Kentucky is winning its Reed, Rob, and Reeves minutes 131.6 to 111.3. Coming into that game, they'd only played 162 minutes in, you know, what, probably 15 games together. So, like, 11 to 12 minutes. It's baffling to me that they don't play those three together, like, in the way that they do. The the Reed Shepard experience, though, is just, like, baffling in general. Um, He he is staggeringly good at basketball. And, Look, I, I've been clear throughout the year. I have a top five grade on him. I, I do. I continue to. Uh, look, I don't know if he'll get to number one for me, but like it, it's it's not out of the cards, to be honest with you. Like I, I think that if I'm counting the guys that I trust the most, Reed is up there. Well, and the thing that I love is, I mean, those numbers are staggering, right? And they're really cool, but the the eye test matches it. Like you watch Reed Shepard play and you can see how he's impacting this team being better. We've highlighted just the transition passing, right? Just to name one simple example that never does not show up in the box score. I bet he doesn't have a single assist for the ones we're specifically referencing right now, but it gets him out in transition. That may lead to the next one. It may change sides of the floor, which puts the defense off balance, but it's just like the eye test matches the numbers. And it's really exciting when that happens as an evaluator, because then you can really feel confident about where you have a prospect when what your eyes are telling you, and then the numbers back all of that up. And 
again, like the shooting percentages, the three point percentages, like all of this stuff, the on off, everything just kind of matches in terms of who this kid is as a player, his value to this Kentucky team. And, and I think what we both believe he can be as an NBA prospect, NBA player. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of dead on, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm a big fan. The other guy that had a monster game this week was Dalton Connect, right? Dalton Connect, I thought, uh, was absolutely just unbelievable in their game on Monday against Auburn. Uh, goes for 39 points on 12 of 21 from the field, drills five threes, gets to the line 12 times, you know, three steals, just a fantastic, fantastic game. Yeah, I mean, this was unbelievable. Like the way Tennessee just, like it looked like an NBA game, truly, at the end of this one, where they ran this action on the weak side where Dalton could essentially go baseline or to the to the wing. He would go baseline. They'd get the switch they wanted, and he would just attack over and over. The first time he hits a pull-up three, he gets it again. And you know that this time he's going to hezzy because you have to get a hand up and lunge at the shot. So he hezzies, left hand in and out, gets to the rim, and he dunks. And it was just like it, – it just not very often do you see them just give a player the ball in college basketball and say, go get a bucket – and that's what he can do. When people were telling me coming into the year that he was a true three-level scorer, that there were no questions about his ability to get buckets at this level, I thought there was going to be a learning curve here. I realized what people, you know, he's 20, how many ever years old? This is his fifth year in college. All It was two years of Juco. It was two years in the big sky with all due respect to the big sky and Northern Colorado. I didn't think the transition was going to be this seamless offensively. And it gives me a little bit more hope that like he's going to be able to take that into the next level as well. I know there's all the defensive questions. I get it. But offensively, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of guys you trust to score the ball more than you trust Dalton Connect right now. It's 100% right. Like Dalton Connect this year, if you look in SEC play right now, he's averaging 25 points per game in SEC play. SEC is a good league. That's an athletic league. That's a tough league. He's dropping 25 a night. That's a, that's a bonkers number. If you take out like those games that he missed in the middle of the season where, you know, he gets hurt in the North Carolina game. He like kind of plays through it against George Mason in Illinois and like keeps playing through it against Georgia Southern, NC state, Tarleton state, Norfolk state and Ole Miss. So that's a group of, I believe it's seven games where he averaged 9.9 points and clearly was still getting over that ankle injury. Yeah, in that really Hill. bothered him. Yeah, for sure. He's averaging like 26 or 27 a night. Like it, it's, it's like completely, completely like off the charts. Ridiculous. So yeah, I, I think Dalton's like a ready-made floor spacer in the NBA can really shoot it real athlete, obviously as well. Uh, like not just like some, you know, fake, you know, guy that can't move defensively, it's going to be a project like undeniably it's going to be a project, but I, I think that he's shown growth throughout the course of the year, at least to where it gives me hope that, you know, what was going on at Northern Colorado. And we're actually weirdly about to talk about Northern Colorado in their defense here in a second. Uh, it gives me hope that this being his only real like year having to defend, maybe there's some upside with him still having not necessarily reached his ceiling there, even though he's 23. 
So Nick Nevin says they also tried blitzing. He hit a great corner pass. So that was a great point that I had forgot that they did go to blitzing and trapping him. And he was very willing to give it up. But yeah, you kind of touched on where I'm at with his defense in terms of, yes, he's a fifth year college guy. He, he, my understanding, he was small. He was a late bloomer in high school and played all zone. Then he went junior college. This is no knock on Juco. I played Juco. Like I'm a Juco product, but it's not, not every program is like super strategic and really teaching you the ins and outs and fundamentals of defense. And then he went to Northern Colorado, which you're about to talk about where I don't know that his defense was really refined and grown and all of those things. I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt for his age and his amount of experience, because I feel like it's the first stop. He's had six months, essentially, maybe nine months now where he's truly been challenged and asked to play defense. Here's the other thing, Sam, we give guys passes all the time in college because the amount of offensive usage they're having to take. And we think that, hey, their defense will be better. Like this isn't going to be the offensive usage he has in the NBA. So he will have more energy. He will be able to give some fouls. Like he can't get in foul trouble for Tennessee. So think about all of those things that are playing into this as well. I tend to just give him a little bit and have a little bit of hope for what he can grow into defensively, especially with some of his physical. My biggest worry, Sam, I feel like he doesn't bend very well. Like I feel like he has some tight hips defensively on the ball. That may be my biggest worry more than anything is, can he really get in a stance and bend and move with these guys? Yeah, look, I think he's probably going to go somewhere in the top 20 at least. Uh, you know, Lottery is very much in the cards to me uh he very well could go somewhere in that you know eight to 14 range and that wouldn't blow my mind at all he's a real shooter who is putting up unbelievable numbers his offensive game just translates it does he can attack closeouts he's gotten better as a passer throughout the year he's shown some growth defensively at least here yeah i am a i am a fan the last guy i want to talk about is dylan jones he is a bryce simon uh special here on this show Dylan Jones went for 30 points, 23 rebounds, nine assists in a game against Northern Colorado. And it's almost interesting to like contrast the Reed Shepard and Dalton Connect games with the Reed or with the Dylan Jones game. Because like I went through and watched the Dylan Jones game against Northern Colorado and St. Thomas, another, you know, guy yep. that Bryce has brought up on the show before. look, I was impressed with the production. I was impressed with seriously, you go for 30, 23 and nine. Like how can you not be impressed on some level? Right. But the whole time I was watching it just in the context of NBA draft and trying to figure out what his projection to the next level is. None of it, none of it was translatable unless you're going to put the ball in Dylan Jones's hands. And I don't think any NBA team is going to put the ball in Dylan Jones's hands is kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't think he's shifty enough. I don't think he's athletic enough to get separation. Like he's not going to play like the point wing ish role that he plays for Weber. So it was like trying to figure out what does this look like? And while it was a great game, I just kind of sat there and I was like, this is super competitive. Like I'm really impressed that he's kind of carrying his team to a win here, but like, I don't know how this is going to work at the next level, even still with all of this production. Like he's just grabbing like easy defensive rebounds that are like fairly uncontested. He's 
leading the break off of those and grabbing and going like kind of an interesting skill, but then also is just like kind of driving and using his frame to get by. He had a couple of pull up threes that I thought were, or he had one pull up three and then like hit another one, like off the catch that was fine. But I think he went like two for nine from three. I got, I'm struggling a little bit with Dylan Jones, like even in these games where he plays really well, just in terms of what does it look like at the next level? Yeah. So the thing is with Dylan Jones, there's no denying like he is a talented basketball player. Like he, he, he can play basketball, especially at the collegiate level. He's had major production and he's done it over and over and over. I think the really, the question with Dylan is what does it translate to in the NBA? And that's kind of what you were alluding to. And it's funny you bring up the rebound. So a peek behind the curtain for me. There, there's guys I watch way more than other guys. Like I, I would feel like I probably know Dylan Jones game about as good as anybody in the space. Um, Deron Holmes is another guy that way. And so you brought up the rebounding. I watched Dylan Jones grab defensive rebounds and you're right. Like none of his other teammates go for those, right? Like he, they, they kind of know Dylan's going to get the rebound. He's going to grab and go. I watch a lot of Deron Holmes film and I get frustrated because he has like all of these other teammates, like snatching rebounds from him. And I'm like, man, like now Deron's kind of getting cooked a little bit for not averaging 10 rebounds a game as a big in the A-10. And I'm like, He's doing all the things you want him to do, which is his teammates are grabbing them. So there is some context to the stats and the schemes and those type of things. But with Dylan, it was really about coming back this year and proving the shooting ability. And he's at 33% on three and a half attempts. Like, so not quite there. The free throw touch is really good. Um, Resball TV, he like always likes, he loves to call me out about Dylan Jones. Like he loves doing this and it's the blocks. I want to make the same point with Dylan Jones that I made with Dalton connect though, Sam, like I, I have a pretty good feeling that Dylan Jones is not allowed to go for steals and not allowed to go for blocks. Like they, you talk about a guy that they cannot afford to get in foul trouble. Weaver state cannot afford for Dylan Jones to get in foul trouble. I think Dylan Jones is a much better defender than what people give him credit for in terms of college. It's the offensive thing, though, Sam. Like, what what is the role? What is the archetype? You and I have had this conversation going back 12 months about, like, is he the Draymond Green role? Can he shoot it and be a Grant Williams role? Are people going to put him in the short? Because he is a really good playmaker. That's the big question because the the talent and the skill and the production is kind of unquestioned. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting game. Uh, question from Thomas Carnero. We're going to take a few draft questions before we go to – best contracts uh I, would your evaluation in my head sam i literally was gonna ask you this today i swear like so, honest truth question would your evaluation on players to the draft change if the nba changes defensive three seconds rule again as an example yes i mean like floor spacers me, right well, floor spacers, A, but like Donovan Klingon was the first name I thought of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My okay. God. Like, I if you could camp, angle. if you could camp Klingon in the paint for more than three seconds, I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, that's that would be really fun. It would also make, for instance, floor spacing bigs even more valuable, right? Because if you had a floor spacing big, you would not be able to camp Klingon out quite as much. Uh, bigs who can shoot. I think would become even more valuable probably on some level. Is Ryan Dunn even a first round prospect in that NBA? In a defensive three seconds. Well, honestly, 
I mean, it just it changes so so much right? because, because I don't think his defensive value increases because his value is that he can cover so much. It's not the Donovan Klingon yeah. type. You know what I mean? Like his is that he can cover ground and the floor. Like so, you you need that when you can't have somebody camped in the lane, and then he's even more of a liability on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, it's a hundred percent right. I I honestly wonder, like. My, my immediate reaction to the whole like defensive three seconds, like changing thing was, does this change the value of these guys like Evan Mobley, Jaron Jackson, Jr., skinnier bigs who are okay rebounders, everything like that, who just cover ground like that, right? Like who just cover ground across the board all the time. And that's like their defensive skill. I mean, those are the guys that are most valuable in the NBA right now but then you look at when they get put into FIBA competition right it's not as valuable I mean we, we don't know that with Mobley yet but like with Jaron like we saw that it just wasn't as useful right so yeah. I mean it makes drop coverage like probably way more valuable it seriously if you can get like a pick and pop big I mean it's so interesting though because like in the playoffs right to win at the highest levels of basketball, you're still going to have to be able to space the floor at at least four or five spots. Even with this, maybe like five or five spots. If you're doing that anyway, it still diminishes the value of these just like pure drop coverage bigs. The game is so skilled now. Look, I'm like generally in favor of this, like as a adjustment. I think it's a pretty interesting way to change things. But yeah, I, uh, I'm intrigued. I'm definitely want- intrigued by it. I wonder, I don't have specific names, but I wonder if another offensive skill set is like the super fast, twitchy, smaller guards who can just beat everybody to the rim and finish with finesse are a little less valued. And you value a guy who can get to the mid range and be super efficient from the mid range, right? Because theoretically you have more help defense, the lane's more clogged. Maybe your big powerful finishers can and, and above the rim guys can still get there and do that. But I'm talking about like your super small guys who are finishing with finesse before the help can get there. Well, now the help's standing there. Now a mid-range 15-foot pull-up, you know, assassin, that guy becomes more valuable just in terms of scoring. Floater game becomes yeah, even floater. more valuable yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like anything from that eight to you know, twenty-two foot range or whatever becomes really, really valuable. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take. It, it's it's a it would be a substantial like change to the ecosystem of the NBA throughout the regular season. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN 
I changed my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. I don't, I, I'm still trying to figure out in the playoffs how big of a deal it would be. Because teams, you know, like like Denver, for instance, right? this doesn't really impact the way you guard Denver all that much. I mean, I guess it does a little bit because Jokic is going to, you know, it probably makes it a little bit harder for Jokic's like bully ball game, like on the block to work, but you kind of have to guard Jokic with the center anyway. Like this doesn't really, like honestly, the team that this would help most, in my opinion, actually might be Denver. It actually might be Boston. It makes the teams at the top of the league right now, I think even better. I mean, God, Boston could camp Porzingis out in the paint and then have his spacing up from the three-point line. Yep. I mean, I think Boston actually like might win the title in that case. Yeah. No, I mean, he's the perfect example, right, of, of what you could do. It's just – I don't know. It's interesting um, with what – how the, I'm interested to see if the NBA does something. Like this is, I'm sure these conversations are always happening. I don't know how seriously they're happening amongst real NBA people. I'm not just like Twitterverse and here on podcasts and stuff like that. But I wonder if some sort of change is coming to the offense, the defensive rules to, you know, slow down the the offensive firepower. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, someone asked about Jimmer Fredette and um and reed shepherd where is that question let's see here i mean my, uh, my... reed shepherd's statistical profile is so unique the same way jimmer fredette's was when he was in college and reed has a lot of the same question marks what do you make of that uh so jimmer is a name that has come up when i've talked to nba evaluators i don't really think they're all that similar if i'm being completely honest yeah I get it offensively to an extent because like they kind of look similar in terms of their shooting a little bit. But to me, Reed is way ahead as a defender. He is so far ahead as a passer and just like seeing the floor and processing the game and everything like that. Uh, Like the shooting, 
like I think he's just like a better catch and shoot guy than Jimmer ever was. Jimmer is probably a more natural scorer than Reed ever was, if Agreed. I'm being honest. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think Reed is just way ahead kind of across the board on everything with Jimmer. I, I don't really think that the like I understand like if you just look at the box score like stuff that you know Jimmer's you know junior and senior seasons probably look pretty similar to Reed's, but he was a little bit older than Reed was. And, you know, like the steal rate is not all that close. He never blocked shots. I don't like, again, like not as good of a catch and shoot guy. So it didn't translate and scale as well off the ball. Yeah. I think that they're just like pretty different. Yeah. I I, I don't like this at all. Like my initial reaction was like, doesn't Reed do all of the like tertiary things way better than Jimmer ever did? Like I, I remember like Jimmer made crazy shots, a lot of it with the ball in hand, off the bounce, like incredible score, also doing it, you know, later in his career. But like I don't remember the talk of Jimmer being like this defensive guy, the intangible things, making the little plays, like nobody was breaking down his outlet passes and stuff like we talk about all the time. I, I don't uh I don't think I agree with that. Um, shout out to Azana Kibrit for the super chat. Uh, I've heard that descending contracts like Kyle Kuzma and Denny Avdia are attractive to, to contenders. What's their worth? I think we're probably going to talk about both those guys, uh, in the next segment here. I have Denny them on and my Kuzma. list. Yep. Yeah. Um, they're not on my top 10. No, no, no. Of them, not, no, they're not on my top 10, but they're in the conversation. My longer list. Yeah, I have them. Uh, and should the Wizards draft Alex Saar or Topic? I would draft Saar over Topic if I was the Wizards. I would want the upside of like seven one long, and they really just need defensive infrastructure in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I would go Saar personally if I was the Wizards over Topic. Uh, I don't know if Saar would be my number one guy for the Wizards, but I would go Saar over Topic for sure. I understand the willingness to get somebody like Topic. Uh, big guard you can theoretically see how that works they need a point guard long term Tyus Jones you know I think is a really really good NBA player but a he's a free agent and b even if you sign him you know to a two or three year deal in the offseason you're still looking for your long-term guy the guy I have been wondering about a little bit for the Wizards is you know Will Dawkins was in Oklahoma City's front office like I wonder if like Josh Giddy could potentially line up with Washington um th that's just like is a connecting the dots name more than anything because Oklahoma City is you know probably gonna have to make a move before they pay Josh uh like a real deal I would think yeah I have Sar easily over Topic for the Wizards and I think Sar if, if the Wizards had the number one pick I would probably mock Alex Sar to the Washington Wizards um as we yeah. sit here on March 1st um not that I don't like Risa Shea and Co like we talked about all these guys I kind of like the wing room with Bilal and I think Corey Kispert's a fine player and we're going to talk about Denny and I, I think I would go Alex Saar as the number one guy on on my board for the Wizards right now so that that would be easily Saar over Topic for me I think that's probably right uh let's see here uh how does Zachary Rizache from Basketball Genesis compare to Jabari Smith is a prospect. I think that Rizache is more of a wing Agreed. in terms of the way that he operates. Auburn used 
Jabari a lot more in that like mid to high post area. They used him more as like a traditional four man. Whereas to me, it feels like Borg uses him more as like a wing kind of yes. player with Riza Shea. Uh, so that would be like the just role difference that immediately sticks out to me without having thought a crazy amount about this previously. Uh, defensively, kind of similar, actually, yeah. in terms of what I like most about what I liked most about both of them was that they were good off the ball. You could put them in the uh, weak side corner and they could really cover ground uh, in a substantial way. I thought that they both were quite, uh, quite good at being able to kind of close out on shooters and be able to protect the rim because they're both six foot nine, six foot 10 ish. I think Jabari's probably a little bit taller. And honestly, I would, I think Jabari's even a little bit longer too. I would have Jabari ahead of Rizache as a prospect overall, I think Jabari's athleticism uh, is just a little bit higher, but he's also got that like inherent stiffness that is interesting. Uh, Rizache isn't quite as stiff, but I think he has less explosiveness. Uh, I'm just kind of like, honestly, stream of conscious, like thinking about this in my head as we're going through it. Uh, yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on this? No, no. I, I kind of was in the same spot as you. The first thing I was going to say is I, I don't see Rissache as a forward right now. I, I have him very much as a wing. So that was going to be the first thing I said. Um, defensively, you made the same points I was going to make offensively. I think that's like a similar role, like a catch and shoot guy, you know, I would like to think that Risa, I probably believe in Risa Shea's off the bounce a little bit more. Although I was trying to buy Jabari's off the bounce just because when you shoot the ball that well, I kind of buy into you being able to attack closeouts. It's an interesting, I know he wasn't comping them one-to-one, -one, but just like it's interesting comparing them. Um, I don't hate the wing version of Jabari Smith Jr. for Zach Risa Shea. I will say, I do think he's a little bit more fluid than Jabari was. Yeah, uh, someone said draft sickos made a good point that Reed is comparable to Grayson Allen in college. That's not top five. Yeah, just way more expansive a game than what Grayson had. Like, I, I guess that you could say like on the age continuum, Grayson had that big sophomore year where he averaged like 22 or something like that. But again, like seriously, defensively in terms of playmaking, in terms of processing, in terms of feel, it's just kind of not that close. Like it, it, it's, I think, I think a lot of Grayson Allen and I think he's turned into a really good guy uh, for Phoenix to have, but yeah, I mean, also just like has never been the shooter that Reed is like Reed is very clearly, uh, or at least like at Duke, he was never the shooter that Reed was. So, yeah, no, I, I don't see that at all. Either. Sam, the, the kid is shooting over 50% from three in the SEC in almost 30 games. Like, I've, I've said this. I will be the first one that said it. I said, well, yeah, of course he's in the lottery right now. He's shooting over 50% from three. How are we going to evaluate him? What are we all going to think when he no longer shoots 50% from three? It's March 1st. He's still shooting 50% from three. Like, yeah. it's just, it's hard to argue Against that alone. And then, like, yeah, Grayson Allen is how many years into the NBA, though? Like, come on now. Like, so it's well, just... Well, the, the, other, the other thing with Reed that I think is really interesting, actually, he's made, like, subtle improvements in his shot since high school. Like, 
he used to have like a bit of like a backward motion toward his face on the jumper. And now it's like comes up smoother and like in one motion in a way like guys get better as shooters. Like dirty dancer brings up Grayson Allen shooting nearly 50% from three in the NBA right now. Yeah. That's what happened. Guys get better as shooters. Well, that's why I said what I said. Better as a shooter. Yeah. I mean, it's his, it's his sixth year in the NBA and this is by far his best shooting season. And like, listen, I Grayson Allen is on my like secondary list of guys. We're going to talk about today because he's been so darn good. He's not going to make the list because of the context we talked about with contract length. But I think it's a little unfair to like compare Grayson Allen in year six in the NBA. That is, six percent better than any other year he's had but i I just he's shooting unbelievable like i I just 50 percent in the sec for kentucky with his role kind of changing throughout the year we talk about that as well right like coming off the bench playing a bigger role like all of that stuff like it's just crazy impressive i i know i realize people have like vibes of like this isn't gonna work because we've been tricked by it before i don't know how you feel sam sometimes i'm just like I'm willing to be wrong, right? Like you just have guys, you're like, yeah, yeah totally. there's some, there's some potential quote unquote red flags. I'm, I'm willing to be wrong about Reed Shepard being a lottery pick in a really quality NBA player because he does a lot of really good things. It's not just one thing either. Yeah. Uh, basketball Genesis brought up Tyus Jones is a Reed Shepard cop was nowhere near the shooter in college was, it just like, wasn't even, wasn't even in the ballpark. Uh, okay. Let's do best contracts. Let's do it. All right, Bryce. I sent you a list of like 25 names or so. Yep. Uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. I've ordered them in a slightly different way than what I had them when we talked. Okay. The way we're going to do this is we're going to count down 10 to 1. We're going to start with some of the names we just slightly kind of left off. And I also want to give some context on how we came to these lists of the best contracts. Okay. So the way that I thought about it, and I kind of shared my ideas with you, are A, no rookie scale contracts because those are set in stone. There's no like negotiation there. No max contracts because max contracts are by far the most valuable in the NBA. Whatever Nikola Jokic is getting paid, it's not enough. Truly. Uh, he like A team should pay him $100 million a year at this point to play for their team. And they will be fucking fantastic because that's how good Nikola Jokic is. So there's that piece of it. We're removing max contracts. The way I thought about removing max contracts was anybody who is currently signed to a max extension or anybody that is currently on a contract that was a maximum number when they signed the contract. So like Jamal Murray right now is underpaid, right? Jamal Murray right now, you know, is not what the max level is even at this point because the cap has re- has jumped since he's been in the league. But he signed his max level deal. So uh, there's no negotiation there, there's no anything. We removed all of those guys. Things that matter here. 
contract cost obviously is important. Yep. Production is incredibly important. You have to be good at basketball. Contract length is really important. If you have somebody locked in for three years on a bargain deal versus one year on a bargain deal, that is way more valuable than just having that guy for one. Any other thoughts that you had on this? Um, no, I will say the only thing I struggled with was role for some of these guys Mm -hmm. and team context. So it was like some guys, I think I'm ended up giving a bump because it's like, man, this guy is really valuable to this team because they're really expensive and they're getting starting minutes and this type of production for this amount of money. Where it's if it was on a different team, maybe it wouldn't seem like that big of a bargain. And so, and then descending money contracts, I feel like I love. And so I definitely kind of ventured towards those. But I feel like I really struggled with some guys like, man, do I really think he's that big of a bargain? And then I found myself going, well, if that team didn't have him on that money, they would be in trouble. So I feel like yeah. as I went through, there was some of those guys that got a bump. So guys that were left off of my list, yell out at any point if they are on your list, like of top 10. Okay. Let's start with Denny, Denny Avdia and Kyle Kuzma, neither of whom made my list. Uh, Denny Avdia has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Awesome. I would say what, since like December-ish it feels like now, Uh, he's always been like a really active defender and always been a really useful, uh, like multi-positional connective tissue guy over the course of since December 29th, it looks like is the date. Denny is averaging 16 and a half points, eight rebounds, four assists, shooting 53, 48, 70 from the field. Uh, I do not think Denny is a 40% three point shooter to be completely honest. I don't, but I do think that even if he is an improved like 35% three-point shooter in first career still because he made somewhere between 29 and 31% of his threes for his first three years, he's still well below average. But on a deal that is 15.6 million next year, 14.4 in 2025-26, 13 million in 26-27, and 11.9 million in 2027-28, that is one of the like six or so deals that I left off. I tended to give a little bit more of a bump to guys that I think have either proven it at like a star adjacent level or have proven it in the playoffs in some way, shape or form. Um, Or still have like real like star caliber ish upside. That that was kind of where I went with this. Do you have any thoughts on Denny? No, I mean, he was absolutely one that I'm glad you had. He was right there on my list um, for just some context before we, I divided mine into two groups of five a little bit and I'll still run it down 10 to one. I kind of went like the bigger money contracts kind of stars. And then I have guys making less than 15 million and, and those group of guys as well, just to split it up just a little bit. But Denny was yeah. act 
absolutely in the conversation. And if there's an argument for him, Sam, he meets two really good criteria. It's a very long contract and it's a descending contract for a player who seems to be getting better and kind of finding his rhythm and flow and role within the NBA. That could look like it. Like we do this two years from now. And that thing still fits those contexts. And it, totally. he, he may lead the list, you know, like, I mean, he could easily be a top five, top 10 guy a couple of years from now. And, and if you wanted to make an argument for you for it this time around, I wouldn't have like crazy, crazy pushback. It's been somewhat small of a sample of him being this good though. Kyle Kuzma, speaking of descending contracts on the wizards, you know, averaging 22, seven and four this year, has shown that when he gets in the playoffs and plays for a good team, he's willing to defend. Kuzma is in the first year of something like a, I think it's like a four year, $90 million deal. I think it might be like 88 or something in those, you know, in that vicinity Uh, descends all the way down to 19.4 million in 2026, 27. Good player. Uh, Really, really, you know, good player that I think is a starting caliber player in the league. I uh, just, you know, I, I would like to see it a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I, again, it's one of those that if it's not descending, I don't think we even talk about him, but the fact that it is descending, you know, two years from now when he's on the books for 21.5, if he's still playing at a good level, and then the next year when he's on for 19, like that's going to be a really great value. It'll be really interesting to see whether maybe it's with the Wizards, maybe he sticks and he grows this thing out like he said he wanted to, but you know that's going to be a really valuable trade chip for that team, I think. Um, you know, moving forward, uh, two younger guys that like swear to qualify for this. I didn't put them on because I wasn't totally sure if they should qualify. Uh, Vince Williams and Isaiah Joe, they signed these deals like basically right off of a rookie deal kind of thing. Uh, Vince Williams has been really good on defense this year, averaging 10.6 rebounds, three assists, aggressive, energetic defender. Uh, I would like to see what it looks like over the course of a full season before him, you know, being on this list. And then Isaiah Joe is one of the best three-point shooters in all of the NBA, you know, shooting 43% from three on uh, four and a half three-point attempts per game. You know, his last two years in Oklahoma City have been absolutely unbelievably impressive as a shooter. Yeah. uh, I mean, Joe has this year at 2 million next year at 2.1 million. The fact that he only has one year left kind of reduced him for me. So yeah, like both guys, I thought worth bringing up at least. Yeah. Isaiah Joe was probably right there. I went back and forth with him quite a bit. Um, You know, like you said, 2 million is crazy, right? Like that absolutely puts him in the conversation for the production. I'm really excited to see what that looks like in the playoffs for the Thunder and how much they may have to lean into him because of some of the stuff we've talked about on previous episodes with that team and what it looks like when they get into the postseason. But yeah, I mean, just only one more year at that number and then you know he's going to get paid a little bit. Yep, that is correct. Um, let's see here. Other names I had. Uh, I, I want to get to a few others before I get into like the six guys that I left off. Uh, Nas Reed and Avita yep. Zubats, you know, to, you know, Avita is like a starting caliber center in the NBA who is not making crazy money by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Zubats' deal right now as we talk is... 
this year 10.9 next year 11.7 another guy with only one year left on the deal after this one so i kind of you know moved him down a little bit and then nas reed you know i has been fantastic this year for the Timberwolves has a very real sixth man of the year case. You know, he's making 13.9 next year, 15 million the year after that, but the year after that is a player option. So inherently I think it's very difficult to put those player options into any sort of value equation here. I kind of treated for the most part player options like they would be declined because at the end of the day, player options, for guys that we're saying are on the best contracts in the league are not inherently <laughs> they're not enough money to pay those guys. So yeah, I ended up uh, moving those two guys slightly off. Yeah. I actually have Zubats in my top 10. Um, and he was yep. the one I was alluding to earlier in terms of this could be an overvalue of just the, cl- he's really valuable to the Clippers. I think he's a good player. He's a play finisher. Maybe it's just like, right team right player all of that stuff but i think that's a huge contract for them in terms of them being able to be successful to have this type of center on that contract again maybe i played into it a little bit much it wasn't going to be hot like he's going to be very early in my top 10 um if we're going descending but uh yeah okay the guys that were immediately off of my list outside of denny okay Uh, Let's start with two guys that signed deals this summer that I think were just really, really high level. Uh, Herb Jones and Dante DiVincenzo. Okay. Uh, Those were the guys. I think I had Denny. I'm looking now at 17. I had Herb Jones and Dante at 15 and 16. Dante this year, I mean, is shooting the absolute lights out of the building. He is playing really, really solid defense. He basically made Quentin Grimes expendable for the New York Knicks. Uh, his deal is 10.9 million this year, 11.4 million next year, 12 million in 2025-26, 12.5 in 2026-27. If he continues this, he's definitely on this list, like no questions asked. This is by far his best season of his career. I thought he was good last year for Golden State, but like he was good as like a part-time starter. If he's able to keep this up, what he's doing, he will be on the list next season. I think that I couldn't quite get there with it only being one year of this level of production for Dante. So he's number 10 on my list to be completely transparent and since we brought him up. And I think it was exactly what you said, though. Like I was just giving him the benefit of the doubt of what this season is. He, you know, he's 27 years old. So ideally he's hitting his prime, finding his role. You know, he did shoot 40% from three on over five attempts last season as well. Career 37% three-point shooter. What I like about Dante is he's filled whatever role the Knicks needed on a given night. I've watched him take 18 threes in a game because that's what the team needed him to do. I think he competes defensively. You know, I, I think the length of the contract really played into this one for me, Sam, but that's yeah. still below the non-tax MLE, you know? So you're still talking about if this guy really starts at the two for the Knicks over the knack, next, excuse me, three, four years and is able to just fit in perfectly around Brunson, OG, Randall, you know, who, whatever star. That, and that's the nice thing about him, right? Like you bring in a star, 
then he's still going to fit in nicely. Like I think you can just put him in wherever you need him to. That was a really good signing. It's crazy how many Knicks we're going to mention during the course of this episode and maybe even leave one or two out that should have been mentioned. He was number 10 on my list. Herb Jones is the other guy that I mentioned here. Uh, Herb Jones has continued to become one of the absolute best perimeter defenders in the NBA point blank. This year, he is shooting 51% from the field and 43% from three. He continues to up his three-point volume. My problem is like he just doesn't get guarded out there, which makes this a little bit more complicated. He's also, you know, making 12 million this year, 13 million next year, 14 million in 2025, 26, and then 15 million in 2026, 27. Those are great numbers for him if he continues to shoot. If the shooting continues to grow and to build, he will be on this list for me next season for sure. I just want one more year of knowing exactly what the shooting is uh, because I want to see exactly what this looks like in the playoffs before knowing. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. He was just off my list, but agree with everything you said. Yeah. It's a fantastic deal. I just wanted to know more. Uh, Miles Turner is on my list. He's, you know, one of the best centers in the league. Uh, you know, 17, you know, not one of the best, but probably, you know, a top 10 ish center in the league, 17.7 rebounds, you know, shooting 53% from the field gets closed out at least on from behind the three point line, I think is a fair way to put it shooting 33% from there. Uh, you know, obviously a fantastic shot blocker and protector. I think he's been a little bit less valuable at the end of the day defensively than what we've seen from him previously, which is why he ended up not making this as well as the fact that he signed for 21 million this year, 19.9 million next year. Because if you remember, he signed yeah, he got that the, big money. Yeah. During the season. Yeah. Renegotiation extension in order to get him on the two cheap years. Yeah. I think miles is fantastic. Just slightly off in large part due to the fact that he only has one year left on this deal. Yep. He was right off the list for me as well. We're, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty in lockstep so far. I mean, I had Kobe White just Ooh. off of my list. Okay. Did you have Kobe on yours? I did. Um, okay. Not in the talk about? Yeah, not in the top five, but yeah. So the reason I did not have Kobe, and he's been really, really great this year. But if you look at his last 20 or so games, and really with Kobe, be, this being a steal of a deal is based on this season alone. hundred percent. Yep. If you look at his last 20 games, he's averaging 21 points, 5.5 rebounds, six assists, 2.4 turnovers, but the efficiency is dropping off more toward what we've seen from him previously, right? 43.6% from the field, 32% from three in that time. I think it's a really good deal. And I think it's like unequivocally something the bulls should be ecstatic to have. I just wanted I want to see it in the playoffs, A, because while he's gotten sure. better defensively, I don't quite know what that's going to look like yet. And B, I want to see what it looks like uh, over the course of a full season still. Yeah, I mean, I think I just look at what he's doing. And again, this is like context within team and stuff like that is the Bulls are going to get a 20 point per game guy for the next three or four years as they're 
we don't know what the hell the, the Bulls are doing, but like it seems like it's good for them to have that, if nothing else. Like you, knowing nothing else about this roster and where they're going, it's like, hey, that's at least this is positive. Again, it's kind of funny this team has the amount of good contracts because I assume we're going to talk about another guard on that team here in a little while. And actually, Andre Drummond's number for this season is something like if we were doing Crazy. one, it, yeah. if we were doing one-year contracts, right? Like none of those guys, like Malik Monk, Grayson Allen, all of those guys on one-year deals, you know, aren't going to make the the list. But Drummond was another guy. It just it made me laugh that yeah, the Knicks was a team where a bunch of names came up, and then another one was the Bulls. I was like, really? The Bulls are the the team that I'm have three or four names that I want to consider. I, I just kind of buying this year's production at the number Kobe is on for the next, what is it? Uh, three years, two years. Yep. Uh, I mean, look, other guys on the Knicks that like, you know, deserve consideration on some level. I didn't consider anybody that is not signed beyond this year for this thing. So OG and Anobi and Isaiah Hartenstein. Yeah. Oh yeah. While they've been great. Uh, just, you know, just don't think they can be on here because they're not signed beyond this year. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is somebody that like I, I had considered the, yep but coming off the injury I wasn't totally sure what that would look like and then we're obviously going to talk about one guy near the top <laughs> of this list yeah the other guy that I put on here I had him at the end of the day at like 13 was Julius Randall okay and I get I get it that like he's more of a floor raiser than somebody you want to have like on ceiling production teams i guess right julius randall is signed for 25.7 million dollars next year 29.5 million the year after he has made two all nba teams in the last three years prior to this one he was an all-star this season he's averaging 24 points nine rebounds five assists honestly for what he brings production wise the Randall deal is a bargain. I get it that there are something of diminishing returns when it comes to trying to contend at the highest level with Randall potentially in the playoffs. But this is a guy that in two of his last three years, according to advanced numbers, according to anything really that you look at, has been worth like 10 or 11 wins for the Knicks. And that is a crazy number. I think this deal is a steal. <laughs> Listen, I like Julius Randle, Sam, and I'll tell you like he didn't he didn't really I don't want to say he didn't come close to my top 10, but it's not because of him. It's because I had a really hard time hashing out some of these higher level play. Like there are some really really yeah. talented players on some really good contracts and what it came down to was okay, can I get Jared Allen production? for that's still 10 million dollars less every year and there's an extra year on it lowry marketing is over 10 million dollars less than julius randall so it wasn't just about like is julius randall on a bad contract or a good contract or whatever it's just like some of these other guys for me were on much better i had a much harder time hashing out these like 25 to 30 million dollar contracts like the kind of more star players I had a harder time yeah. hashing those out than the lower numbers of, I mean, we'll just like the Alex Caruso and those type of guys that will, that, that, that make less than 10 or around 10. Yeah. And the number 11 guy I had was Wendell Carter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Wendell Carter's contract is still like a completely bonkers thing here. 
Uh, he's making 13 million this year. It's going to drop to 11.9 million next year. And then it's going to be at 10.8 million in 2025, 26. That is yep. a crazy contract for a guy who is a starting caliber center. And Oh, by the way, since he's been back from his injury in his last 21 games, Wendell Carter is kind of back to being the old Wendell Carter that we've seen previously. He's averaging 13 and a half points, 6.6 rebounds, 1.4 assists, shooting 59.6% from the field, 41% from three. He's still not all the way back, but that's like a league average starting center that you're getting for probably half the cost of a league average starting center for the next three years. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. He was, again, he was right there on my list. Um, anybody who I had on my list, I truly considered. Um, and then I, you know, eventually you start knocking guys down, but he, he was, cause there was guys, Sam, that I, I originally wrote down and then I deleted like, no, I don't, I don't yeah. really consider them. Wendell was not that Wendell started on my list, stayed on my list. He's still there. Just not in the top 10. Okay. Anybody else that is not on your top 10 that I did not mention is Conley on your top 10. He is not. That's a good name. He just signed an extension for two years, twenty million. Uh, after age. this year, age is the, the reason, reason. The reason was yeah. age. Yeah. Same with me. Um, I I don't think you're. I really like Aaron Neesmith. I wonder if that contract eventually becomes a good one. It's eleven million dollars yeah. flat. Nick Richards is five million dollars flat for two more years. Um. We're probably going to talk. We're, we're talking Bogdan, right? For you? We're not going to talk Bogdan for okay, me. Bogdan dismissed for me too. Injury same. stuff for him as well is why he did not uh, make it. The, the one thing I like about Bogdan, he, and he is 31, so the age and the injuries, that is a club option on the final year is my understanding, um, if yep. I read it right. And so that makes that, you know, when we talk about years and all of that, you could, that's essentially going to be, I bet by that time, that 16 million is probably Sam below the non-taxpayer MLE, or at least right there. So that's going to look yep. really good in those final two years. Um, that's the last guy, like, I, I bet we talk about the rest of these guys, either they're on my list or on your list. So, okay, let's get started. Number 10. I have Christoph's Porzingis. Love it. Christoph's Porzingis will make 29.3 million in 2024, 25, 30.7 million in 2025, 26. I think from a, production standpoint this year on a Boston team that is like a genuinely like great team in the NBA. He has been legitimately all-star quality. He's averaging 20 points, seven rebounds, two assists, nearly two blocks shooting 53% from the field, which by the way, that's actually a career high for him. Shooting 37% from three, 86% from the line. He has been utterly elite at anything you could ask somebody to be elite at this year. Yeah, he's incredible. I think what gets lost is like, we love Chet and we love Wimby. And now we're talking Alex Saar. Like, Kristaps was one of the first ones that like was supposed to come in and be this like long, skilled, big. 
And, you know, you talked about earlier, like he can protect the rim. He can stretch the floor. He's really unlocks himself with that Celtics offense. I, I really like it. He actually, so again, I broke mine into two groups of five because I had a really hard time hashing out these lower contracts compared to the more star level contracts and, and the order of those. So I went five and five. So he didn't make my top five um, with the bigger number contract, but he would have been like number 11 if, and he may have been my top 10 if I would have just done solely it that way. So a hundred percent. Yeah. As, as Tomas says, the OG unicorn. Yeah, that's right. And I think what he's brought to the table for Boston is just that floor spacing. He really is that ability. He has that ability to open up the court for guys like Jason Tatum to take advantage of his post game a little bit more often uh, for somebody like, Derek White, who we'll talk about here on this list, very obviously, yes, we to will. be able to drive to the rim and create open shots at the basket. Uh, just the impact that he has across the court, I think, is really, really important to everything that Boston does. And oh, by the way, like he's a great drop coverage defender. Like he, he's a he's a really, really useful defender in that way. Yeah, and I love the – I've talked about this before. I love the creative ways they do their matchups. Like they'll put Drew Holiday on a big and then let Kristaps roam. But then you can also play him in drop. Um, real quick context for everybody who's just tuning in here live or maybe missed it when Sam said it. This is no rookies, no max deals, and we're adding in the context of years left on the contract. And each of us, I think, probably have our own little context as well as, as, well as far as team, sure. fit, team fit and some of those type of things. Okay. Number nine. Let's talk about Alex Caruso for the Chicago Bulls. Caruso only has one year left on this deal. $9.9 million. This is an insane bargain to have Alex Caruso for $9.9 million. Alex Caruso is a starting caliber player on a title team. Uh, he is somebody that you can put into a lineup. He will do anything you ask of him. He processes the game at an unbelievable level. He is, in my opinion, the best guard defender in the NBA. He makes the biggest impact defending multiple positions along the perimeter, be it point of attack to guys at the lead guard spot. He can manage wings because he's six foot five. Everything that Alex Caruso does on the defensive end is utterly elite. Then offensively, he has gotten really good at the things he needs to get good at. He makes quick reads. He knocks down open threes when they're available to him. He doesn't take anything off of the table offensively now in the way that, you know, even when he was with the Lakers, there, there was a chance that like he was kind of taking things off the table because he was a lot more reluctant as a shooter. He is no longer that reluctant as a shooter. Yeah. I mean, I pulled his playoff stats just to have a feel like his career in the playoffs, 41% from the field and 30% from three. I think we, probably feel strongly Sam that the next time Alex Caruso gets in a playoff series he's going to shoot the ball and be better than that offensively he's an absolute pest defensively he takes the toughest matchups I think I saw a stat the other day he's fourth in the NBA in deflections which is obviously something that tracks I think I would have he, he would have been like top he was top three in my smaller uh, valued contracts and probably would put him like top seven on my list overall. So I would have had Caruso a little bit higher. I assume he's ninth because of the length, right? Like that's the only thing that's keeping him at this point. Yeah, the contract length. I mean, he's yeah. just not, he does not have a long deal, which makes it really, really difficult, I think, to put him, you know, much higher than this at the end of the day. 
Yeah. Uh, if the contract was longer, like if this was last season, he would be way higher, I think. It would be interesting because when he becomes a free agent, he's going to be 30, 31 years old. And not that that's like a dinosaur in the NBA, but I'm really interesting to see what is because he he deserves to get paid, right? Like he needs to get paid. He'll want to get paid. It'll be interesting to see what that new contract will be. Yeah, I agree. Number eight, Aaron Gordon from the Denver Nuggets. Aaron Gordon is making $21.3 million this year, $22.8 million next year has a $22.8 million player option in 2025-26. He's averaging 13.9 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists. He's the perfect complement to put next to Nikola Jokic. Uh, he, he is absolutely perfect for everything that Denver does, and he is making not nearly enough for what his value you know, is to that team with his ability to take tough, big wing perimeter matchups. He can scale down to the five occasionally even if you need him to he can guard up the lineup against quicker wings like the the versatility that Aaron Gordon has is pretty real yeah I mean this plays right into what we talked about earlier in terms of kind of factoring in team fit on some teams this may not be a crazy bargain right in terms of what do you think Aaron Gordon's value is you know if he's the number two option on a team or something like that but considering what he is for this Nuggets team, how perfectly he fits with this team, just how seamless it is. I, I know people always throw it back at me when I talk about the lack of depth for the Nuggets. And they're like, well, just wait till the playoffs when Aaron Gordon starts playing the five. And, and again, like I, I think versatility plays into a lot of this for me as well, where he can play off Jokic at the Ford, take defensive matchups, rebound, all of those things, and then be the backup five. That's insane value on a title contender. And so um, he, he did not make my top 10. He was right there, right off of it, but I completely get it. Yeah. Uh, he's just a fantastic role player in what he is yeah. asked to do, right? Like he's asked to uh, kind of reduce his own production. Like Aaron Gordon, we've seen what Aaron Gordon looks like in Orlando and he's only gotten better since he's been in Orlando. Uh, him averaging 13 points per game or whatever he averages, 13.6. That's not a reflection on Aaron Gordon. It's a reflection on the Denver Nuggets ecosystem and him sacrificing to win, yeah. in my opinion. Which uh, we should all kind of celebrate a little bit more at times. I feel like we always ask players to put their egos aside and do what's best for the team and all of these things. And I don't feel like we always celebrate it enough. Maybe I'm like maybe Aaron Gordon gets plenty of love. Maybe people would disagree, but um, I'm glad he's getting some flowers here on this episode. Yeah, Aaron Gordon, uh, I thought, like, had a semi-real case as an all-star last year, to be honest. Uh, probably not quite this year. Can we get Jamal Murray one first, though? Like, if we got to gonna... get Jamal Murray one, okay. I think, yeah. Uh, as long as we goal. agree on that, okay. Okay, number seven here. Austin Reeves. Yeah. 12 million this year, 12, 13 million in 2024-25, 13.9 million in 2025-26, 14.9 million uh, player option in 2026-27 that he almost assuredly will decline. So really, two more years at 26.9 million. Averages 15.6 points, four rebounds, 5.6 assists per game. I mean, Austin Reeves uh, has been fantastic, and having him for two more years at this cheap deal where I still think in the playoffs he's going to be the third best player on the Lakers at the end of the day, with apologies to D'Angelo Russell. It's such a benefit having him locked into this contract for the Lakers. 
Austin Reeves in the playoffs, 17 points, four and a half rebounds, four and a half assists on 46, 44, 90. Um, restricted free agency sucks. Austin Reeves would have made a lot more money if it wasn't for that. And as Dirty Dancer says, yeah. I, I've, I, I, I would have, I would love to see Austin Reeves playing with Victor Wimbenyama right now. Like I would absolutely love it. I was sold that they were at least going to offer him a contract and at least see if the Lakers would balk. All reports were that they weren't going to, but I would have, I would have seen, I would have called their bluff and, and to see. And you know, if not, then Reeves is playing with Victor. Uh, maybe he's not that star, like superstar guard that you've talked about, Sam, but he's pretty darn good. And I still hold a lot of stock in that. Like, I think even the Lakers right now, today, I had this conversation with somebody, they should put the ball in Austin Reeves hands more when LeBron is not on the floor. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, Austin Reeves is fantastic, and having him on this deal, this is why you know when we talked about, oh, should they look to move D'Angelo Russell or should they look to move you know Austin Reeves to try and get a star? The conversation was always, no, like you don't move Austin Reeves over D'Angelo Russell. Like yeah. even if you are somebody that thinks D'Angelo Russell is a better player than Austin Reeves, D'Angelo has a player option for this year, and if he is as good as Austin Reeves is, which Again, I disagree with, but like whatever. If he is as good as Austin Reeves is, then he's going to decline that player option. So he's going to hit free agency and it's not that valuable of a deal. So having Austin Reeves locked into this number is just crazy, crazy, crazy valuable in my opinion. Uh, the, the Lakers are in an interesting position moving forward, but we'll see what they're able to kind of bring together. Yep. Okay. The tops, this is like a tier break for me now. The top six are kind of the top six to me. I had them in kind of three groups within that group. I had like legitimate all-stars like near the top, guys that like can be all-stars if things go right. And then the guys that have, the guys that have had all-star-ish value this season, but only have one year left on their deals. So at number six, I had Derek White. Okay. And Derek White, based on the value of just like having him for next year alone, if we were only doing this based off of this year and next year, I think would probably be number three or so. But only having one year in comparison to some of these other guys that have longer-term deals still, was a bit of a value drop. Having said that, Derek White has 17.6 million left on this deal, 18.8 million for next year. He has been utterly fantastic on both ends of the court for Boston this season. He has been one of the better guard defenders in the league, would be a real all-defense team candidate. I don't know if he would quite get on my team personally, but very much a candidate. 15 points, six, uh, five assists per game, four rebounds, 40% from three, 47% from the field. Everything is just so sharp and efficient that it's like really, really hard for me to like find fault in his game almost. Yeah. I mean, you said the efficiency is what's crazy at 47, 40, 90 from the field rebounds a little bit can create a little bit. Doesn't turn the ball over Sam. Um, never in his career has he averaged two turnovers a game, 1.3 for his, his entire career. Um, there was a game I watched, you know, it, it just, his impact was all over the start of the game. He attacks the lane with the ball in his hand. He cuts into the lane 
off the ball. Like, again, we talk about like versatility. So he can play with ball in hand, but he knows how to play off the ball. So he cuts into the lane, collapses the defense, gets a kick out there, gets a block shot recovering on the ball. So if he gets like one of the, maybe the best guard shot blocker in the NBA. Like we talked about how good Reed Shepard is contesting jump shots and all that. Derek White is one of those guys that as a guard is a really good shot blocker averaging over one per game this season and, you know, can really get buckets when this team needs him. So yeah, if it wasn't for just the one year left on the contract, I, he couldn't get all the way to number one, but like you said, there's a real argument for the top three. I think that's right. Uh, I think Derek White has been unbelievable this season. Uh, and I'm a huge, huge fan and always have been like I had Derek White, like I didn't quite have him as a lottery pick, but I had him at like 15 or 16 on my board when he came out. Like everything that guy does just impacts winning basketball and always has. Number five, Lowry Markinen. Again, if Lowry was signed beyond this year, very clearly a top three guy on this list. I don't really think it's all that close. He's averaging 23 points per game, eight rebounds, 1.9 assists, 48% from the field. 40% from three. He's a genuine offensive star in the NBA. He is signed to a deal for 17.3 million this year. And he has 18 million next year. That's only like a partial guarantee. Hilariously. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that I put him a little bit lower here is I am assuming, and maybe this assumption is wrong, but I am assuming that Utah is going to use some of its cap space this summer to renegotiate that number. Makes sense. In 2024-25, up. So I gave him, honestly, like a bit of a drop in terms of value because of that situation. What are your thoughts on Lowry's game in general? Yeah, I'll just say I had him higher because I didn't really consider that as much. Um but yeah, I think he's extremely versatile in terms of the position he can play. Again, I love to take that into account, especially when we're talking contracts and value. I think that becomes even more a part of the equation. Um, what I like is he can shoot, but he can do it off movement. He can do it in multiple play types, but he can also get off the bounce. There was a game, he has this just crazy baseline. I call it whip pass where it's along the side of your body, a baseline hammer whip pass, multiple nice passes in that game. You know, I don't know that he's like great defensively, but again, whenever there's versatility, I think that adds at least a little bit of value. Dribble pass, shoot guys. Uh, what I see the most made threes by someone some seven foot or taller in the NBA this season. Um, a little more, you know, athletic than what you would probably give him credit for. Like straight they, they up, they like play him on the wing a lot of the time. Like it's pretty yeah. wild. He's just so darn skilled, Sam. He's just so skilled, and like I, I don't think. I, I know last year was kind of his coming out party. I get that. I understand it. Um, I don't think I realized how skilled he was overall until I really started diving into games this year when I started doing the pod with you. Yeah, it's just that he is so capable of creating shots off of movement. Uh, he doesn't need the ball to create shots. He shoots over the top of guys with real ease. And then he has that like mismatch post game where like he'll take guys onto the block and just finish over the top. And it's like, well, okay, so I can't stop him that way. I can't stop him just like creating shots off of movement for three. I will say in general, like 
I wonder how much he is like a creation of the Will Hardy offense, which is, I think, the world of Will Hardy as a coach. He really puts Lowry in like the pristine prime position to succeed. And I wonder what he would look like as like a scaled down number two option as opposed to being like the clear number one. And I don't think he's good enough to like be a number one that wins a title. But I also don't know that it totally matters. Like Lowry is just like so, so good. And he is good enough off the ball that I think it probably works in this offense as a scaled down number two. And he's going to be in this offense, I'm assuming, for the next portion of his career. But like the the context piece of it is interesting to try and determine. Well, it's going to matter someday though, Sam, right? Like Utah's in a rebuild right now, but eventually they're going to want to start competing again. And you're right. I don't think Lowry is necessarily your number one superstar on like a deep playoff contender. And so I think it will be interesting to see. I tend to believe that he will be able to scale into that number two role because of what you said about how much he's able to do off the ball. So he doesn't need the ball in his hands. I think he will play off of another star really well. And he has some, again, position versatility, which just makes those type of things even easier. So I I think that's absolutely fair context. Uh, You know, if we go back to Kobe white, that's a thing with him, right? Like this is a great contract for a guy averaging 20 a game. It's a really good contract. If you can be a, you know, off the bench, you know, big time scorer at that money too. Right. So it's like, what, what does some of this stuff look like in different roles in different contexts? So I think it's a, it's a interesting point and I'm excited whenever we get a chance to see it. I am too. I think it's going to be a really fun, uh, really, really, really fun thing to track with Utah because I think they're a good team. Okay. Number four, Jared Allen for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Larry Markin is a better player than Jared Allen undeniably but jared allen is locked in at 20 million this year 20 million next year in 2024 25 and 20 million in 2025 26 those are no options though that's just where he's at jared allen is averaging 16 points 10 rebounds shooting 64 percent from the field he's one of the best defensive centers in the league jared allen has really emerged into the point where like i i think that if they decided they had to make a choice between Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, it's not like a no brainer. I think it would still be Mobley. Like, let's be very clear about that. And I think you would take the flyer on the upside of what Evan Mobley can be down the road with his ability to potentially create shots, potentially do some things on the ball and hopefully improve as a shooter. But Jared is so good in his role as a rim protector, as a, play finisher at the basket as a pick and roll partner for either Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland that you at least have to stop and think about it given what his contract is. Yeah. When you figure in the money, uh, I'm glad you talked about like the pick and roll partner. Cause uh, as I've watched him throughout the season, he has a little more finesse than I was getting him credit for just along with the size movement, play finishing all of that. He's averaging almost three assists per game this season. And I know this is a little bit nerdy, but I feel like this is the spot to do it. I love watch like next time you watch a Cavs game, um, which I will watch tonight as they play the Pistons, or I'll probably watch it first thing in the morning. But his hand placement and ball screen coverages. So like when he's in drop, yeah. I always love like watch him 
versus a young Jalen Duran and watch where they have their hands when the opposing team is running a ball screen. I feel like Jared Allen is very good trying to get his hand in that pocket passing window or getting it up if he thinks he's about to throw the lob. I just think Jared Allen is very good and very strategic and deliberate with his hand placement. And it's something I've learned to watch with bigs more and more. And I think he's one that does it really well. Yeah, no, I think the world of what uh, Jared Allen is capable of. And, you know, when we did our midseason awards with Andrew Schlecht, I had him as a finalist for defensive player of the year. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, to me, has been the main cog in terms of how Cleveland has been able to hold up a top. Uh, realistically, it's been a top, you know, five defense throughout the course of basically the whole season. So, I've loved what I've seen from Jared Allen. I think Jared is a phenomenal, phenomenal basketball player that frankly, like might be the most underrated player in the league right now. Like if you wanted to make a case for that, I think there's a very real case that is like open to discussion on it. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he definitely is not talked about uh, as much as, as he should be. Okay. Number three, Mikhail Bridges. The reason that I went Mikhail Bridges, who has 21.7 million this year, 23.3 million next year, uh, 24.9 million in 2025-26 over Jarrett Allen was almost entirely just like playoff performance at this point within semi-commensurate roles within their, you know, schemes. So Mikhail Bridges in Phoenix was their you know fourth option depending on who was on the court sometimes was the third option depending on you know DeAndre Ayton as well and what he had going that night he consistently made shots and consistently defended at an exceedingly high level uh he is a all defense guy he hasn't been quite as good defensively this season in Brooklyn but i think that's more due to the offensive load that he's carrying yep. offensively he's averaging 21 points, five rebounds, four assists. He's shown that at the very least that when he's asked to scale down again and no longer be a number one option, he can run ball screens. He can run certain actions. He always showed flashes of that in Phoenix, but I think he can be a real like number two, exceedingly high end number three on a great team. And these numbers are just bargain basement for what he is. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league when he's asked to do so because he's so long and so active. And he's a real shooter from distance. Like this is the exact guy that you want to be able to have as your essentially like third guy. And at those prices, like you can price him in as a third guy. Well, and Sam, he plays every single game and he plays 30 minutes a night. So, you know, we've talked Mm -hmm. at times about this, you know, more so when we're talking about MVP award stuff in terms of availability and how many games and minutes and percentage of the season, like you can essentially mark it down that Mikel Bridges is going to play a hundred percent of the season. Like the dude has played more straight game. Like I think assuming it's still going has played 400 straight games and next next best player was like somewhere in the 200. So this dude is available along with, everything you're talking about in terms of his talent. I'm glad you brought up the defense kind of scaling back. We talked about that earlier with Dylan Jones. Like when you take more of an offensive load and quite frankly, Sam, I think we would both agree an offensive load that he's not really ready for, or I don't think we ever think like, that's not his, like, that's not what he needs to be. He shouldn't be a number one option. That's not what he, where he's his best. His best is like 
bottom end number two, high end number three, where then he can exert a whole lot more energy on the defensive end. And I think even in that role, this contract is an absolute still if that's who he is on your team because we know how good the defense can be along with being that on the offensive end. Um, so yeah, I, I'm fine with him being here. I had him a tad lower, but essentially our top six is going to end up being the same. Um, our top two are going to be the same too. These three through six would have been mixed around just a tad. Yep. Uh, number two is Jalen Brunson. Oh, okay. The only reason Jalen Brunson is number two is because of the contract length. Uh, 26 million this year, 25 million next year. He has a player option for 2025, 26 at 25 million. There's no way that's getting picked up. No way. Jalen Brunson is an all NBA guard this year. Point blank. He's averaging 27.7 points, 3.8 rebounds, 6.7 assists per game, 48% from the field, 41 or 40.1% from three. The issue is that he is just so good. He's so good. He is an unbelievable offensive creator. He is incredible he is a legitimate number two option on a great team and he's a number one option for the Knicks this year on a team that is probably going to win 50 games and we'll see what they look like in the playoffs like I think they could make a run against certain teams if they get the right matchups in the playoffs again the only reason he's not number one is the contract to me uh the length of the deal is just a little bit shorter than the guy that's at number one and that pushed it over the top for me I think ideally both of these guys are, you know, number two options on a title contending team. And I think Jalen's going to scale exceedingly well to that. And I think that this other guy, you know, will scale well to that. But Jalen this year has been better than that guy. And Jalen this year is an all NBA talent and he will be on a max contract very, very soon. I had him at number one. I just feel like Brunson's probably what is he a top 10 MVP? Probably, you know, uh, I mean, obviously not, not top five, but you know, at the back end of that, um, on this contract, it actually goes down next year. You're right. The length, I get it. He's so crafty. He's skilled along with the strength. We talk about players deceleration all the time, Sam. He has it as well. He's able to decelerate and then his balance is unreal. And then somebody said it in the chat, like his leadership, his intangibles, watch the game recently. They're playing the Pistons game was way closer than it should be, but whatever, but he makes a hustle play where like this young Pistons team who only has eight wins, nobody dives on the floor for this ball. And Jalen Brunson comes out of nowhere, dives on the floor, saves it for his team, ends up in DiVincenzo's hands in the corner. He knocks it down and it's actually stopped a run that the Pistons were going on. Like he just, he's still, I, I like kind of like the phrase of like, have like this unwavering confidence and like almost an arrogant confidence in your skill level, but a humble approach to all the little things. I think that's what yep. Jalen Brunson has. Like that's one of the favorite things. Like some of the players I talk to is un like unwavering, arrogant confidence in your skill level, Sam. That's what I want players to have. But when they get there, I want them to be humble about their requirements to do the little things. I think Jalen Brunson still has that. And, and that's why I really enjoy watching him play. I think that's absolutely right. I, I love watching Jalen. I love his craftiness. His footwork obviously is incredible. Somebody who is that small and like non-explosive just should not be as good of a finisher and as good in the paint as Jalen Brunson is. He's unbelievable at it. 
He's worked through the jumper at a really high level. I think that he has the most immaculate understanding of like spatial awareness and like leverage that any player has in the league outside of maybe like Nikola Jokic and maybe Luca. Uh, he, He just completely gets what's around him. He completely gets how to operate within those infrastructure he's just so unbelievable he's so good in space that it's incredible yep he he is he is really good and i'm 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 telling you this i hope this Knicks team gets healthy and i'm fascinated to see what they do in the playoffs if they are because i i think i don't know that they're a real threat to the celtics but i think they're a real threat to anybody else in the east the bucks are figuring it out i think they've won four straight or five something like that they're figuring it out a little bit but um, if they're not healthy, it's probably not going to matter as much. And the Randall yeah. injury is sounding concerning to me. Um, but it, it, if they're not healthy, it would have been fun to see how they could challenge some of these teams. Number one is Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson this year has been pushed into like an offensive role, like way beyond yes. what he should be, yep. uh, to be clear. Jaron Jackson is the best defensive player in the league under the current rule structure, in my opinion, it's either him or Anthony Davis, or, you know, you could name one or two other guys. This Memphis season has completely and utterly gone off of the rails entirely, (laughs) uh, just due to injury, right? They are still somehow a top defense, top 10 defensive team in the league. I don't understand how that's even plausible. And then you realize they have Jaron Jackson on their team. They should not be able to make it work on that end. Like truly. But because of his presence, he is just always available, always there. 27.1 million this season. And then it descends. Yeah. 25 million in 2024, 25, 23.4 million in 2025, 26. He covers an immense amount of ground. He's a great weak side rim protector across the board, just as a shooter as well. Like I know that the shooting is down a little bit this year because he's being asked to take really, really hard ones, but as a shooter off of movement, you can run him off of crazy actions. You can do all sorts of different things with Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, The two way ability makes him quite literally the perfect scalable number two, number three option for a team. Jaron Jackson ended up at number one for me purely because he has the extra year at 23.4 million on his deal versus Jalen Brunson, who does not. I mean, you said it, the fact that he's doing this defensively with the infrastructure around him, which there's some good defensive players, right? We talked about Vince Williams earlier being a good defensive player, but what he's having to do offensively, Sam, this is a guy who, through the first four or five years of his NBA career, never averaged more than 13.3 attempts a game over 17 this year. His three point attempts are second most of his career. His free throw attempts by far the most of his career. And he's over 80%, you know, 45% from the field, not great, but 33% from the field for, or excuse me, from three, not great, but he just, he's having to take a lot of shots that he probably wouldn't have to otherwise, but I kind of like it. I kind of like seeing it. I've, I've watched games and, you know, I've come away thinking, okay, he looks kind of comfortable in this role and, and he looked confident 
was relentlessly attacking the paint. It wasn't just the threes. Had a nice little left-hand push floater. And so it's like, okay, he can take this, scale it back whenever Jaw and Desmond Bain come back, but you can still have him there when Desmond's having an off night. And like, hey, we can go to Jaron to be the second option tonight or you know whatever it is. And then he's anchoring the defense like you're talking about with this offensive usage, he's going to feel like he has all sorts of energy whenever he's not having to do all of this on the offensive end. So playing the most minutes of his career as well. So I, I don't have a whole lot of qualms here. Again, I just gave Brunson the benefit of the doubt because he was the better player this season. But I completely understand with this descending and the length, it, it makes sense. All right. That's the top 10. That's where we're at. I have one final trivia question for you, Bryce. No, thank you. While we're here. No, thank you. Because this tweet just completely broke my brain. Currently, DePaul has three NBA players compared to Illinois' one in Northwestern, Loyola, and the other teams in Chicago, UIC, uh, Chicago State, etc. have zero. Shout out Ricky O'Donnell from over at SB Nation. We have to get Ricky back on the show again soon. Can you name the three DePaul players currently in the NBA? No. Come on. One of them is a game theory favorite. Bryce. So I used to be really good at this game when I played uh, – a bunch of 2k and we used to play this game in college on road trips whenever i was a player since i got out and before i started doing this with you and nba draft stuff i've realized how much i've fallen short okay the key here is max struess went to DePaul. a game okay icon. okay max struess gotcha so that's the one i should have known the second one is Paul Reed. Okay. And the third one just signed. Javon Freeman Liberty. Oh, nice. Shout out Javon Freeman Liberty. Little little fun player who really worked his, you know, tail off to get to the NBA and was one of the best players I thought last year at Summer League. We talked about him, I think, during Summer League. Maybe yep. Adam and I did. But it's insane to me that DePaul has three NBA players and Illinois has one. It's Io DeSumo. We could sort of count pods. I, I was going to say, to, it, but yeah. I, I don't know if Pods wants to count pods as an Illinois guy. I think he will rep Santa Clara very proudly um, with that one. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I think Pods will rep Santa Clara. The final thing I want to finish on real quick, Charlotte Stepp asked a question at the top. How do we feel about Jalen Galloway signing a two-way deal uh, from his perspective? Uh, you've talked about the NBA is a good place for development. He's still young, so is this a big risk? Uh, no, I, I think that Jalen Galloway signing a two-way deal with the Milwaukee Bucks is the right decision for Jalen Galloway, and I think it's the right decision for the Bucks. I think it makes all the sense in the world to me that th this is the nat the next like natural progressive step in his career. He's a really really good defensive prospect who does a great job of defending on the ball, keeping active off the ball, 
making his presence known, but he needs to improve as a shooter. Like that's the way he's going to stick in the NBA. Can he be a high enough level shooter to become like a three and D guy at the next level? We will see if that can occur, but I think that a two way deal is the right natural step. Now, like do I have qualms about him maybe doing it with Milwaukee? I do because I think there's no way that doc rivers will ever like play younger players. Like we just have a prime example of this. Also, there are guys like Marjan Beauchamp and Andre Jackson ahead of him in this role. But I I think Jalen is probably like a year or two away from really being able to play in an NBA game at a high level. So I like the idea of a two year, two way for him. He'll get guaranteed money. I'm sure, you know, he probably got the 80 grand guaranteed for next season that he'll get. He'll make whatever it is this season. You know, I think it's probably, you know, probably 150 or so beyond that for this season. So he got very real money, you know, all in us dollars comparatively to making Australian dollars, which is a win for him. So all of this, I think just makes sense across the board. You've watched a bit of Galloway. Do, do you have any strong takes on this price? No, like I was always a fan of Galloway. I told you whenever this kind of came up that, you know, I turned on Sydney to watch Alex Tui. And I told you, usually whenever I turn a game on to watch a player, nobody else catches my attention. Like I am locked in on that person. And like people will ask me, oh, what'd you think about so-and-so? Like, what'd you think about Kobe Brea from Dayton? I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. I was like literally only watching Deron Holmes when I was watching that game. And so it, it, it immediately took me like, man, this Jalen Galloway guy just like keeps showing up and he keeps showing up and the athleticism and the defense every once in a while, there'd be some interesting fluid and smooth offensive things. He would make a mm-hmm. shot, but yeah, I, mean, I had it right here in my notes. I haven't watched a whole bunch of him recently, but shooting and playmaking are going to be the question marks and, and not even the playmaking probably at this point, just can he space the floor with what he does defensively? But we texted about this the other day. I said, Detroit, I mean, they just opened a roster spot with Mescala, move somebody up and bring Galloway in as a two-way. Like I would have, I think, I think that would have been awesome in terms of a flyer for the Pistons. Is it what's best for Jalen Galloway? That's a whole nother conversation developmentally, but I think yes, for what it's worth, but like, you know, there's a chance to minutes, right? Like they're not great on the wing that they're not super deep there. So maybe there's a, you know, a chance to minutes and all of that. So I I think this is absolutely a, a nice move by the Bucks. Um, I'm a fan and I'm really interested to follow it moving forward. Yeah, I, I think it's a smart move. Uh, Steve-O asked, uh, Sydney Kings released uh, Mahmoud Abdel-Fatah, uh, who was their head coach this year. Will he make his way back to the NBA? He was the Rio Grande Valley coach. I think he might have done a year on Houston's uh, Houston's bench, if I remember correctly as well. Yeah, he did do a year last year on Houston's bench. That's correct. Uh, look, like I understand firing Mahmoud. I think he might end up back in the NBA. The, the thing I will say just generally is I did see some like reporting about Mahmoud that like I didn't love. Like it kind of put a lot of Sydney's problems at his feet and kind of questioned a little bit. Like, is, you know, is he a good guy? Is he this? Like, was he like a piece of the problem? Like, look, if you're firing a coach after a year, he's 
a piece of the problem. I thought that he was probably a little bit too inflexible in terms of not being willing to go away from the switching defense. And uh, I also think that I just like didn't love their roster construction this year at the end of the day defensively like having Denzel Valentine and DJ Hogue is real import level players I thought was a real problem but what I'll say is this like Mahmoud Abdel Fattah is like an unbelievable human being uh you will not meet like a kinder uh like just positive more positive person than Mahmoud and I I didn't love some of the reporting that I felt like was toned in a way like toward creating like a bit of a negative impression of him. And, and like, I thought ESPN's story for people that are in Australia, like I thought Olgan did a really good job kind of outlining it. Um, I'm kind of talking about like a few others that I didn't love, but like Mahmood is like an, a, a really, really good dude. And it just like didn't work out at Sydney. Um, it, like anybody across the NBA, across the NBL that like has gotten to know him at all, like he, he's he's definitely not uh it's definitely not like he's a bad dude or anything like that. Yeah, I don't, this isn't NBL is your world. Yeah, this is this is NBL talk with Sam real quick. Uh, I mean, NBL draft prospects all over it. Um, not as much into coaches. Yeah. And shout out Brian Garces for the super chat. Oh, yeah, in the middle of our uh, yeah, in the middle of our best contracts thing. He's gonna take some time to guess who. Oh, the top six I thought he, he was gonna Celtics to Mavs game. I I like questions. No, Just I shout out Brian in the comments. Hey, appreciate it for real. Um, I thought he was asking us to put the top six like in the and then I saw Mavs and so I thought he was gonna ask like the, our top six teams in the league. So who made my made my life easier because I saw it, thought we needed to do it, and then I forgot to do it. So. No, we definitely didn't have to do that. Uh, Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, follow for Pistons, NBA, NBA draft content. Again, I started a Substack, MotorCityHoops.substack.com. Um, Pistons, game breakdowns, and then some raw notes, scouting reports that I've been dropping. So some NBA draft stuff over there. And then uh, the Pistons Pulse, if you want to listen to a Pistons podcast. And then here at Game Theory with Sam. Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Uh, we will be back on Sunday or Monday. Not sure which day yet. Bryce, do you have an answer to that for me? Uh, Sunday is fine if that's what you would like. I have no preference either way, um, but Sunday absolutely works. Okay. We'll figure that out uh, based on what my schedule is then. Wow. We get to adjust to Sam at this point. This is great. Okay. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back at some point in the next you know, 48 to 72 hours. Until next time, we'll talk soon.